I'm Janice Ellis with Ellis Farms in Senton, Texas, and you're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. It's always good to be back with you for another edition of Texas Ag Today. All you've got to do is jump on in with me. Buckle up. We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. In the news today, we are seeing high abandonment rates for cotton here in Texas thanks to the ongoing drought. But it seems to be taking a while for USDA to get a handle on just how bad things are. We'll have more on that coming up to kick off today's show. My name is Kerry Martin. I'm your host along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. It won't be long before another wheat season begins in the Texas High Plains. And wheat in our area serves many purposes, including protecting against soil erosion. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's Farm Service Agency has announced a deadline extension for disaster assistance for those agricultural producers impacted by catastrophic natural disaster events. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those details on Texas Ag Today. American farmers struggling with the high cost of fertilizer got some good news from the International Trade Commission recently on proposed UAN tariffs. I'm Chad Smith, and I'll have that story coming up on Texas Ag Today. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. USDA is projecting an abandonment rate for the U.S. cotton crop this year of 31.5%. That is well above last year's 8.5%. And of course, we can thank our drought here in Texas for much of that increased rate. But is it high enough? Texas Tech ag economist Darren Hudson says our abandonment numbers will be huge this year, and it may take a while for USDA to get a grasp on just how huge. Of course, USDA sort of bound by rules of evidence. So, you know, they, they have to have evidence on hand before they make a move. I, I do think they made a pretty bold move in, in the last report, you know, by bumping abandonment, you know, considerably. But I think a lot of the, the hard data is yet to come where we start to see the crop insurance filings and, you know, they get the uh, the RMA reports looking at, you know, acres that are failed and, and that sort of stuff. Hudson says USDA may be underguessing the abandonment rate right now, but they should get a better grasp on the situation as we move into August. Protecting crop insurance in the 2023 Farm Bill is a big priority for most in agriculture. Memphis, Texas crop insurance agent Kathy Fowler testified before the House Agriculture Committee recently to give her do's and don'ts on what she hopes to see Congress do to improve the program. First, the do's. 
do have high expectations of crop insurance and work with us at building the program to achieve even more. We certainly want you to support the 508 process, which meets these changing needs. Do work to help farmers purchase higher levels of insurance. They need more coverage. Do fix the problem facing specialty crop areas and improve the use of crop insurance data for the benefit of farmers. Please make sure that we make a case for additional funds for the next farm bill. And Fowler's don'ts include... Don't be tricked into pay limits and AGI means testing on crop insurance under the idea that this will help small farmers because it won't. It will hurt them by raising their premiums and removing the good risk from the risk pool. Don't cut premium cost share. Increasing premiums would move the crop insurance program backwards. Don't permit ad hoc disasters or permanent disasters to undermine crop insurance. You don't want to discourage producers from using um, their own risk tools. Don't try to mix policy objectives like climate into crop insurance. Crop insurance is meant to protect the farmer's profitability. When profitable, good conservations will follow. Crop insurance agent Kathy Fowler of the Fowler Agency in Memphis, Texas. It won't be long before another wheat season begins on the Texas High Plains. James Hunt tells us the wheat crop there serves many purposes. In our previous report, Justin Garrett of County Line Farms talked about some of the moves being made on their operations in the northern panhandle to make it through what has been a very difficult growing season. But even as there's still plenty to do with their summer crops, it's also time to start planning for winter wheat. We will definitely put some more wheat this year than we have in a long time. We'll be doing that after the milo comes off. And some of these fields that we've abandoned where the corn will cut it for silage and prepare it for wheat in the fall. So it'll have some rest before planting time. Garrett says for County Line Farms, the focus when it comes to wheat is less about grain production and more about other purposes. We're harvesting it for grain as long as we have enough for wheat seed. We hold back enough for, for wheat and cover crop. Garrett says the role wheat plays in protecting soil is crucial. We mainly get most of our seed in storage and hold off for uh, any bare acres that we could put a cover crop on, mainly keep it from blowing in our area. You know, we get wind pretty much all year round, but mainly that February, March high wind, it will blow a lot of that topsoil off, so we've got to have wheat cover. And another benefit from wheat, Garrett says, is that it helps the next season's cotton. We love our cotton to have a wheat previous crop. It does really well. We'll strip till through it, and it holds the water in. A good rainfall will soak in. It's a great previous crop. Interesting to think of the many purposes for wheat in our area, as grazing and wheatledge also make the list of what it has to offer. And speaking of wheat, Texas A&M AgriLife is hosting the annual Wheat Heart Wheat Conference on August 11th in Periton. Contact the Ockeltree County Extension Office for more details about that event. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. USDA's Farm Service Agency is extending the deadline for farmers to sign up for disaster assistance. Tom Nicoletti has more. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has announced that it will indefinitely extend the deadline for producers to return the pre-filled applications for Phase 1 of the Emergency Relief Program. A new deadline will be announced after the last Phase 1 applications are mailed and provide at least 30 days following the mailing. More on this now from Farm Service Agency Administrator Zach Ducheneau in our nation's capital. And uh, Zach, uh, who here in Texas uh, is eligible to receive relief payments? 
Well, any crop producer that suffered eligible loss from an eligible weather event for 2020 or 21, that would include drought, excessive heat, excessive moisture, wind. The winter storm URI is is on the table in this as well. Now, the ERP payment, this phase one that we're doing, is based on existing data that producers have already submitted. Producers that had indemnified losses from those weather events receive that pre-filled form. And this batch that we're sending out now are producers that didn't have an insurance policy, but instead had some of our NAP coverage, the Non-Insured Disaster Assistance Program. It's going to be about $105 million in payments that go out this time. As I understand, uh, producers sign and return the pre-filled application to their local Farm Service Agency county office. For more information, they can go to farmers.gov. When the producers are signing those forms, verify it against your numbers so that we make sure that we get it right the first time. When you sign, you're committing to two years of linkage to some type of risk management strategy. It's important for producers to know what they're agreeing to when they sign that form. That again is Farm Service Agency Administrator Zach Ducheneau from Washington. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. American farmers struggling with the high cost of fertilizer got some good news recently from the International Trade Commission on proposed UAN tariffs. Chad Smith reports from Washington. The U.S. International Trade Commission unanimously voted to reject anti-dumping and countervailing duties on imports of urea ammonium nitrate, or UAN, from Russia and Trinidad and Tobago. Dave Salmonson, Senior Director of Government Affairs for the American Farm Bureau Federation, says the case before the ITC started a year ago. This case was brought by CF Industries about a year ago in a petition to the ITC to impose duties because they said that there was dumping and unfair subsidies being placed on these fertilizer exports that was hurting their business. But the International Trade Commission, a couple of hearings, lots of evidence from both sides, decided that these duties should not be imposed. This decision means that American farmers won't have to pay additional costs on fertilizer from those countries. The effect of having these duties on those companies in those countries, they wouldn't export to the U.S. Those would be imposed since they couldn't sell it at a competitive price. Those companies wouldn't export to the U.S. and it would allow, of course, domestic manufacturers to have their prices higher. What this will mean going forward is at least you won't have this additional cost placed on what are already higher fertilizer prices for UAN. Salmonson talks about what's next for the U.S. fertilizer industry. We should start seeing some more product come into the U.S. from Russia and Trinidad, Tobago, and that should have an impact on prices. About 80 percent of all of our UAN imports were coming from those two countries. So we definitely, over time now, should start to see some more product move from overseas into the U.S. market now that they're not having the threat of these import duties placed on them. From Washington, I'm Chad Smith for Texas Ag Today. Whether they're looking for water, shelter, or food, sometimes snakes find their way into our homes. I'm Jessica Domel. I'll have tips on how to keep snakes out of your home coming up on Texas Ag Today. And probiotics are used routinely in animals, but are they safe? Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Take the path less traveled and learn about the diversity of agriculture in the Lone Star State. It's a little education and a whole lot of fun. 
Texas farmers and ranchers between the ages of 18 and 35 can join the Texas Farm Bureau Young Farmer and Rancher Fall Tour, September 9th through the 11th in Amarillo, Texas. Learn about the diversity of Texas agriculture in the Amarillo area. Develop a network with other young producers across the state. Fellowship with one another and make new friends. Registration is open now. Visit TexasFarmBureau.org to register. The Texas Farm Bureau Young Farmers and Ranchers Fall Tour. The registration deadline is August 4th. Reserve your spot today. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Probiotics are used routinely in animals, but are they safe? Dr. Bob Judd says they may not be as safe as reported. Probiotics are considered by most to be safe and beneficial for humans and animals with gastrointestinal issues and are widely recommended. However, some research at Kansas State University indicates the probiotics may not be as beneficial as was originally thought. The researchers at Kansas State indicated at Bovine Veterinarian that a species of bacteria called Enterococcus facium, which is common in probiotic compounds, can be a source of antibiotic resistance. Although probiotics are considered to be beneficial, some bacterial species may have unintended consequences, and their research shows that this organism can confer resistance to antibiotics widely used in human medicine. The bacteria carries genes that confer resistance to antibiotics, and feeding such products to animals raises the possibility that genes can be transferred to pathogenic bacteria and make them resistant to antibiotics, and this resistance can be passed on to people. At this point, the research team indicates this is a theoretical possibility only, and there is no evidence of such a transfer actually taking place in the intestine and subsequent human exposure. The researchers utilize the whole genome sequence-based analysis to assess the potential of the organism becoming virulent, meaning it could cause disease. The genome analysis also allowed the researchers to detect antimicrobial-resistant genes and analyze relationships of the bacterial strains from commercial cattle and swine probiotics. Because antimicrobial resistance is a major problem, future probiotics may need to be tested for resistant genes. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Sometimes snakes can find their way into our homes. Jessica Domel has some tips on how to keep them out in today's Wildlife Report. Snakes are a vital part of our ecosystem, but we don't necessarily want them in our homes. So what's the best way to keep them out? Well, Dr. Maureen Frank, a wildlife specialist for the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service, recently sat down with USDA Radio's Gary Crawford to discuss it. Maureen, you've got some tips to help keep snakes away from the immediate home area without chasing them totally out of the yard. So what's first? You want to reduce the number of places that could be attractive to a snake in the first place. What does that mean? What's attractive to a snake besides another snake? They're usually looking for food or they're looking for shelter. And so you want to reduce both of those things being available to keep them away. So how do we do that? Make sure that you don't have debris, wood piles stacked up next to the house. You don't want that to be a hiding place for the snake, but you also don't want that to be a hiding place for their food. Uh, Mice and rats, which you 
also don't want in the house. Oh, and you say also go a step further if uh, we can. Take a look at shrubs, trees, and grass. It might be right up next to the house. Think about thinning that out if possible. That's a great tip for a lot of nuisance wildlife management is to keep that nice clean barrier around your house with well-trimmed shrubs and bushes and trees and short grass and nothing stacked up against the house. That'll keep them kind of away from that particular area. Keeping that area safe while still allowing snakes to be out in the rest of the yard and providing all those fantastic ecosystem services that they do for us. That was Dr. Maureen Frank from Texas A&M AgriLife Extension and USDA Radio's Gary Crawford. If you're looking for additional information about snakes in Texas, visit the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department's website and search snakes. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Cattle, cotton, and corn all finishing higher to end the trading week on Friday, but the wheat market headed lower. We'll take a look at all of Friday's livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Attention farmers and ranchers ages 18 to 35. Texas Farm Bureau has an amazing opportunity to highlight individual achievements, discuss complex agricultural issues, share your Texas Ag story, and be rewarded. Full-time producers can apply for the Outstanding Young Farmer and Rancher Contest for a chance to win a $60,000 prize package. Part-time producers and those individuals involved in other ag industries can participate in the Excellence in Agriculture Contest for a chance to win a $15,000 prize package. Actively contributing and growing in agriculture and the Texas Farm Bureau has its benefits, like cash prizes and recognition for a job well done. For more details and an application, visit texasfarmbureau.org. Applications are due August 4th. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. The cattle complex ended the week on a higher note on Friday, both live and feeder cattle ending higher with August live cattle up 27 cents, 136.45, October up 40 cents at 142.22, December live cattle up 37, 148.50. Same thing on the feeder market, August feeder cattle up $1.15, 178.57, September feeders up $1.35 at 181.55 with October up $1.00. 183.72. Cash fed cattle market wrapping up the week with a stair step of prices. Of course, we had the lowest prices as we usually do here in Texas. 135 sold most of our fed cattle last week. That is a buck lower compared to the previous week. As we move up into Kansas, they saw sales from 135 to 137. Nebraska had a price range of 138 to 140, and Iowa sold cattle on a live basis from 141 to 145. Boxed beef was higher on Friday. Choice up two dollars, two sixty-nine seventy-seven. Select up a dollar seventy-one at two forty-two fifty-two. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Let's get started with a glass of iced tea and a look at the livestock auction in Guadalupe County, Seguin, Texas, Lewinsman family. Brian, how did the sale go Wednesday?
Larry. I ended up with 957 head of cattle. Uh, quality not quite as deep this week. Uh, I'd call the market steady all the way around, even on the Packer cows and bulls. Those two to three weight steers, dollar ten to a dollar eighty-seven. Three to four weights, a dollar twenty-eight to a dollar ninety. Four to five weights, a dollar nineteen to a dollar eighty-nine. Five to six weights, a dollar twenty to a dollar sixty-six. Six to seven weights, dollar twenty-two to a dollar sixty-five. With seven to eight weight steers bringing from ninety-four to a dollar thirty-six. On the heifer mates, two to three weights, ninety-six to a dollar sixty-three. Three to four weights, a dollar twelve to a dollar fifty-eight. Four to five weights, a dollar twenty-eight to a dollar sixty-two. Five to six weights, a dollar twenty-three to a dollar fifty-two. With six seven hundred pound heifers, dollar twelve to a dollar fifty-seven. On the cows, uh, like I said, just kind of steady on there. Top end of the cows bringing seventy-four. With the top end of the bulls bringing ninety-five, and uh, you know had just a few pairs that went back home to the country. And uh, top end of them, nine hundred seventy-five dollars. That's kind of why how the cattle market went. How about sheep and goats? Sheep and goats ended up with seven hundred twenty head of them. Uh, those good nannies up to two hundred ninety. With the good kid goats up to three thirty today. And uh, on those Dorper ewes, one hundred thirty top end, and on the lambs about two eighty. And you know, it, it, people are starting to buy them. They figured out take them home, and you know, feeds high. But if you can put some weight on them, you can advance them. So that's kind of what they're doing with these sheep and goats. Of course, neighbor, you can get a hold of Brian at eight three zero three seven nine 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 five five. All right. You take care, Larry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Neighbor, this has been Walking the Pens, Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. We'll see you again tomorrow. Good day. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finished higher on Friday. August hogs up $1.52 at one twenty sixty five. October hogs up 90 cents, 97.22. Class 3 milk was mixed. Nearby July milk down 2 cents at twenty two fifty two a hundred. With August milk up 20 cents, twenty thirty seven a hundred weight. The cotton market managed to close higher on Friday in the face of a lot of negative news over the past week. Of course, the outside markets affect the cotton trade quite a bit, and it was not a good week for the outside markets. We had an interest rate hike by the Federal Reserve. We officially announced that we are in a recession last week and also had a terrible export sales report on Thursday morning. But the horrible condition of our Texas cotton crop seems to be putting a floor underneath the cotton market right now, so we close higher again on Friday with October cotton up 76 points, 103.13. December cotton up 53 points at 96.74. Corn market was slightly higher Friday. September corn up one and a quarter, 6.16 and a quarter. December corn up a penny at 6.20 a bushel. The wheat market saw some nice gains over the past week, but on Friday it took a bit of a breather, gave back some of those gains. We were lower on both hard and soft wheat. September Kansas City wheat down 15 and a quarter, 874 and a half. September Chicago wheat down 9 and a quarter, 807 and 3 quarters. In the energy market, September natural gas was up 17 cents Friday at 830. September crude oil up 250, 9892 a barrel. The financial markets were higher Friday afternoon. The Dow up 329 points at 32,859. The Nasdaq up 228 at 12,391. The S&P up 58 points, 4,131. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. My name's Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state on the planet, Texas agriculture. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website 
at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.